Welcome to the Reimagining Faith podcast with the Pastors Jackson. This is a podcast for seekers, dreamers, and fellow sojourners who are trying to figure out what it means to be followers of Jesus in the 21st century. This Advent, we are doing a series in our Sunday services called Reflecting the Sacred, in which we are following, um, somewhat following Richard Rohr's The Universal Christ, and we're contemplating the ways that we see the sacred reflected in people, in places, in times. And also, I, I like the, the fact that they use the word refracted as well, not just reflected, but like the way that light shimmers when it hits some kind of crystal or something, the, the colors and the lights, and it expands. It's always getting bigger and brighter and more beautiful. Um, and so we thought, well, let's take this time during Advent and talk with some of our key partners and covenant members and ask them the ways that they've seen the sacred reflected and refracted in their own lives, as well as in the communities where they find themselves and the work that they're doing. Um, last week, we talked with Reverend Sean James, who was helpful to to us and to our church in starting this this uh, this church journey um, as he's the associate conference minister of congregational development for the Pennsylvania Southeast Conference of the United Church of Christ. Quite the title, yes. Quite, Quite the mouthful. title. Yeah. But today, uh, today we're we're talking with one of our covenant partners. Actually, probably the first of our covenant partners. Um, it probably, I mean, we talked with you and Luke at the same time. So um, you we know, had a very, we had a very um, cryptic. We need to talk to you about something. Yeah, I was worried. <laughs> I was like, they're moving or something. I don't know. <laughs> we sat them down. We'd like to have a conversation. And they said yes, so it worked out well. But um, yes, they were yes. the first the first community partners we asked. So we are joined today by Laura Johnson, who is um, who wears so many hats in Pottstown and runs so many things and has so many official titles, but yet so many unofficial titles and roles that. Uh, That's a good yeah. <laughs> So we are uh, so happy that you've joined us here in the basement. Thank you. It's to... nice to be here in your quiet room. Oh, it's so lovely and quiet right now. The kids are in school. That helps. Mm -hmm. so school is wonderful. <laughs> school is so good. Yeah, spoken by a school board member. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yes. Yeah. One of your many hats. One of my hats. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So in thinking about the ways that we've seen the sacred reflected... And I, I love that even before we started talking about this, you said, I don't think in those terms, yeah. which is going to make this so much better okay. because then you can just <laughs> deny the whole premise of my questions and replace them with your own. And I'm, I'm definitely here for that. I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about how you've seen the sacred reflected and refracted in your own faith journey, mm -hmm. your own particular wandering through this faith oh. thing. Okay. So first define sacred. You define it. No, you, 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 you Laura Johnson, are sacred. Uh, I mean, arguably, sure. But what do you mean when you ask sacred? What, what, what is, what are you thinking of? To me, uh, sacred, uh, which is kind of the root of sacramental, something that is sacred, um, is something or some act or some something that God's presence is 
felt and experienced. So a sacred place might be a prayer closet for you or somewhere in the woods at a church or a cathedral, sacred place, sacred people might be someone you um, especially see the presence of God in, um, someone who you feel at home with um, because they emanate a certain spirit. I was telling Zach the other day, David Charles is one of those people, like he's just a special person, right? Right. Um, so sacred time, we talked mm-hmm. about, we're, we're doing sacred time, sacred people, sacred place, and sacred something else. I can't remember what the fourth week is. Um, <laughs> sacred miscellaneous. Sacred things. <laughs> miscellaneous. Um, Secreticity. So so something that is, is set apart, maybe not so obviously, but something that um, has a special sense of the holy, mm-hmm. of, of, I was going to say, of the sacred. <laughs> Something that has been touched by divine love Mm. and that emanates a remnant of it. Okay, this is going to be fun because I think I'm just going to flip all your questions. Perfect. Because this is what I do. That's the point. Perfect. So, so yeah, so where where or when do I see the sacred is what you're asking, reflected or refracted. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, so— And it doesn't have to be fixed, right? right. So, you could say— in this time, in this place, in this the the space where I'm finding my feet mm-hmm. in these days, here's where I'm experiencing it, right. seeing it, witnessing it. It doesn't have to be like a set. Right. Understood. Understood. So, I mean, I love the idea of it being refracted because I think that the way that my brain tends to work, I'm looking for... I realize you guys aren't asking this, but the right answer, like mm-hmm. almost like like even if it's just my very right answer, because that's <laughs> kind of kind of how I'm wired. So I think that the idea of refracted lets lets you break it up because that's what that's what that is. And and so certainly there's like daily places that I see that in different moments of like serenity. Like I asked yesterday on Facebook, like where simple pleasures, like where, where do you find joy in the day to day? That's not necessarily remarkable, but it's, um, you know, just almost the things you could forget are happening. But if you like slow down enough, then you, you see them. So there's those kinds of things. So like, you know, putting on clean socks was my first answer. Like, there's just like a moment of like, this is just how it should be. And that's almost when I think of sacred, that's almost Mm. what I think of. Like things being either, you could use the word restored or redeemed or whatever to how it should be when things are set right in some way. And so even if it's very small things, it it feels like that. And, And in those rhythms, which I think is another place where I tend to see the sacred, often daily rhythms of like going to bed at night, like like working hard and going to bed and feeling like there's an element of like rightness in that. Hmm. Um, so that would be one thing I'd point to. Um, another thing I'd point to, which is almost feels a little opposite, is tension. Tension can feel very sacred to me if it's... <sighs> If it's the right kind, if it's going the right direction, if there's something in in it um, where like when I've gone through different parts of my faith journey where I had either a lot of doubt or I had I was I was at the edge of something. and I didn't know what it was, Um, uh, an unknown and almost learning to live in the tension that I, I seek. I seek rightness 
and I'll, I'll probably repeat that theme a lot, even though rightness itself isn't necessarily a word that I use all the time. I, I seek things being orderly, set right, in their place, figured out, whatever. But when I've been at a point where where I, I don't know what that looks like, but I feel like I'm on the edge of it, that is also a moment of like, I would say, that reflects that sense of finding God's presence in that, where the only thing I know is like, God's in it. I like don't even know what that means. I don't even, there was times where I'd be like, I think God's in this. I don't even know if I believe in God, but there's a sense that he's in this. And and that to me is that, yeah, that meets that kind of definition of, of sacred. You're describing the Hebrew concept of shalom. The peace uh, in English is like when things operate the way they're supposed to yeah. operate, when things are in order, yep. when there's meaning, mm-hmm. in, the embedded meaning within the thing is expressed, mm-hmm. then there is peace, there is shalom. Right. Things are good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I sense that you also, there's a different sense of sacred when it's interrupted. Say more about what you mean. Um, you like it to be orderly. You like it to be put right. Right. But when something's interrupted, something new is coming mm-hmm. um, to a different sense of completion, to a right. different sense of— Because it's never— Right. Right. And it, in my life, at least, when I get to a point where things seem right, complete, that job's done. It does not take me long until I'm like, what's the next thing? And not that <laughs> mm-hmm. I even want it. There's a part of me that's like, can I just rest a while? <laughs> but there's another part of me that like, give me a day and I'm like, okay, now what? Yeah. To the point where it probably can be exhausting for the people around me to be like that. Like, okay, like this, this is done. Like we need to do this and this now. Like I'm, I'm definitely very driven naturally, but I also... I, I crave that finishedness. And so there's a, a tension in that of like, I don't know, of learning to 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 rest or to take that beat and be okay with like, there's Actually, more kind of, yeah. celebrate, <laughs> celebrate um, or, or rest or whatever, which is part of why getting back to the theme of like rhythms, like Sundays, like being a day of rest, which totally got interrupted during the campaign season. Um, But I I knew there was an end to it at the same time. And so there's an element to me of like, I can work really, really hard and feel really good about that. And then have that, that part of the rhythm where there's rest and it feels right. Yeah. Hmm. So. Because you were a campaign manager. I was. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I was. I was a campaign manager for For a a state house race. Yeah. That that, that flipped a seat in this last election. That was very exciting and exhausting, but totally worth it. Totally worth it. Also (laughs) complete. (laughs) And and as it should be. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, Has this sense of rightness or completion been a part of your faith journey like forever and ever amen yeah. yes okay <laughs> yes 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 do you want me to just i like, would love give yeah. a little like so little backstory um i was raised in a evangelical conservative um setting my church was evangelical like can when i say that i mean i think you guys know but just to like unpack that like a big focus on like um the bible is the answer period for everything and um i know men are in leadership and women have other 
equally important roles, but you know, mm. and uh, that just <laughs> fell but apart. Separate but, pretty, <laughs> separate but equal, which is never, um, yeah, never we equal. Did a whole Supreme Court case about that. Yeah. Yep. Mm. So, so that was my background. That was my church. That was my like family setting, my school setting. I was always I was homeschooled, and then I was in a, a private Christian school, and so that was just my world was the evangelical world, and we are right. Like, and that was a theme to me, at least in the way that I perceived how the world was talked about, was, you know, Christian worldview. We need to teach the Christian worldview because this is the right way of seeing the world, and um, our politics is right, and our theology is right, and there's a sense of, like, that was always a big focus, was rightness, at least, mm. and it prob- probably that was partly me and my wiring being toward wanting to be right, wanting to do right, wanting to be right, wanting to get it right, whatever. Um, but that was also very much the culture was mm. us. We got we got the truth here and we need other people to understand why. And we need to raise our kids to understand why so that they can stay on the straight and narrow and that sort of thing. Mm. Um, so that was my whole, you know, growing years. Um, it the church that I was in was also charismatic. So there was an, also an element of like the Holy Spirit. It wasn't like hyper charismatic, though the organization that I got involved with after, during high school and then after was much more um, to the extreme on that. So there was also an element of like, I don't know how, I don't, I, it, it was the Bible. It was like, it was about the Bible, but it was also about I don't know, the miraculous or God um, mm-hmm. changing the world through us. Like there was a, a, that emphasis. I don't know, were either of you involved with the choir of the fire at all? Oh, yeah. Okay. So that was not explicitly charismatic per se, but it had a lot of the same elements of like highly emotional, very driven to like find your calling, change the world. Like, Holy and, Spirit and there is doing is something powerful, powerful and visible. So that transferred right now. over then to Youth with a Mission, which is where I also worked and, and had a lot of great experiences as well. Um, but there's that element of like tons of pressure to get it right, to figure out your calling. It was one of those things where you kind of felt like if, if you get it right, then it means you're going to be a missionary. Like, yeah. like, like they, like there was an element of, of it was also like telegraphed to you what they thought God's calling on your life probably was, sometimes overtly, uh, and then other times more subtly, but that level Acquire of like the fire just for our listeners yes. who might not be familiar. Yeah. Um, a, a conference aimed at youth yep. um, at acquiring the fire of the Holy Spirit yeah. and the presence of God. Yeah, right. High And highly, like, highly emotional, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. There's like emotion can be great. It can also be manipulative. Oh, yeah. Um, and so I think a lot of, not just myself, but a lot of the other young people that I was raised with was, you know, we were— we had a lot of that emotion. We had a lot of that sense of calling and we're going to change the world and everything and, and followed that for a time. Um, and then things would start to disintegrate just because it wasn't always backed up by what was true or sustainable. And there was a lot there that was um, using emotion, sometimes even spiritual manipulation to, to amplify that. Um, and so, so many people that I knew ended up kind of 
you know, saying peace out to a lot of that world um, because it kind of like on closer examination fell apart. It did not hold up under pressure. Um, and so, you know, that's kind of where I was. And then, so I like to back up a little, I, you know, graduated high school. I went to Youth with a Mission. Um, after I was done there, I came back here and I helped to plant a church here, um, which I was a part of then along with Luke for like 14 years or so, hmm. um, up until four years ago, five years ago. Um, and that whole process, which I can probably, I'll, I'll let you guys like see where you want to go with that. But that whole process was what allowed me to go from like a, a faith of needing certainty and needing to figure it all out to being much more, op- I don't want to just say open-minded, but like it allowed me to be honest in my faith and and follow that where it led, which was not for me the world that I was raised in. It took me out of there because I craved, while I crave rightness, I also crave honesty, which should be the same thing. <laughs> but, they're, they, they, but they're not the way that it's presented. So um, I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on where, where you want to go with that, but that's an element to me of my faith where I have to be honest. When, yeah. when did that old, because it sounds like there was almost like a, it was this way, and then it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Could you remember, like, something that propelled that experience or a, a time or maybe even, like, like, do you see where there was delineation? Because it sounds like you went straight from youth. Yeah, I mean, yeah I youth think, with a mission to... Yeah. So actually, I should back up too because there's another element that started for me when I was like 12, and that is I, that's when I had my first bout of OCD, which was faith-based OCD at that point. Um, which I have, are you familiar with that? Uh, no, but please explain. So, so OCD obviously can take a million different forms. If you can be afraid of it or question it, there you can have OCD about it. And I've had multiple iterations of OCD, but when I was right around 12, I had this fear of what if I'm not really saved? Like, what if I don't have enough faith? Which isn't something you have to have OCD to go through that phase. Like I've heard, there's other people I've known and especially having struggled with it myself. I've had people come to me, my kids struggling with, you know, this, and it doesn't mean they have OCD. It just means that if your faith emphasizes damnation or um, making sure that you are saved, making sure you're a real Christian and that absolutely catastrophic consequences if you would not be, Um, then you can be afraid of missing that boat. Um, And so for me, I hit this very, very sharp spot where all of a sudden I was very afraid that I didn't have enough faith, whatever that meant, and I couldn't define it, and no one could quite define for me what that would mean. Like, they they could reassure me, which— if you know OCD doesn't necessarily work, um, actually can make it worse. Yeah. Have you tried um, not worrying? <laughs> or you're fine. You're fine. Have you prayed the prayer? Have you done yeah. that? Yes, I have. But maybe I missed something. Maybe I didn't mean it. Maybe I didn't do it right. Maybe whatever. And so this became an OCD thing for me. Um, this became an OCD thing for me for, a, I don't know, a year or a year and a half where it was just really, really consuming got better for a little while, came back a little bit in my mid-teens, and then that that part faded to some degree. But again, getting back to like the trying to like figure it out thing, um, that was like the first crack in a way of like, 
it didn't uh, and and the people around me definitely tried to help me they didn't necessarily understand what they were dealing with and not all the strategies that were offered to me at that point helped um I, I should have seen a therapist when I was 12, and I did not because it was seen as a spiritual issue and and the other elements were missed. But um, so that level with OCD seeking certainty, which is always elusive, um, and, and, and it is regardless of OCD, certainty is not something that at least for most people is real. It certainly isn't for me. It is not, it, it is not a place to end up. I will never end up there. Um, it was hard though, because in that world, that evangelical world, there's an element of like certainty is what you crave. I mean, and again, it goes to that idea of we're trying to get it right and we need to be sure that we are right. And, and that's like one of those things where the more you chase it, the further it is away. Like at least, at least in my experience. Um, so that always find some way that you're not. Oh Yeah. And if, yeah. and if everything hinges on you being certain, in fact, like the, the way that the verse from Hebrews is used, faith is the, the certainty of things hoped for yeah. and the conviction of things unseen. Um, well, that really didn't work for me at all because <laughs> I'm never certain about anything. And it still is true. And even not in the middle of OCD, but just like as a general thing, like, are you sure? No, but I'm going to, I have to make a decision. So I'm going to like do something here. But in he like that Hebrews verse when people would try to help me, oh, you have enough faith. Like faith is well, oh, faith is. You should repeat this verse. You should learn this verse, and you should you know meditate on it and whatever. And it was just this like this will fix you. This was yeah. so unhelpful. Right. Um, and that translation is not necessarily a really good one. I don't know that the word certainty there is really the one that should get used, especially if you look at the examples that come after it of all of these people of the faith who. It really wasn't about what they thought. It was about what they did and what they chose to trust. But, you know, if the Bible is inerrant and that word is super important, it just, it was a bad spiral for me. So it unraveled, I think, does this this faith work? That makes so much sense to me. And I've never heard somebody use the phrase spiritual OCD to explain that. Because I I, I mentioned when I told my story that I went through a period where I believed that every time you sinned, you gave up your salvation. I, yes, and I heard that when I listened to your your podcast about your story. I mean, they told me that. Yeah. And then you needed to repent for that sin. And then at night, I would have a litany of all the sins I did and then ask for forgiveness for the ones I forgot, because surely I forgot, or the things I did and didn't realize were a sin, and then ask for forgiveness for not knowing or for forgetting, and then ask for free. Like, there's this recursive cycle because, like— like, you know, you wash your hands a hundred times, but you still feel they're not clean is how my soul felt Yeah, that I yep. can wash my soul over and over and over again. And it's still dirty and I can't yep. stop it. And I have to keep doing this thing or else I'm going to go to hell. And there's this constant fear and it's just anxiety all the time. And then people talk about assurance of salvation uh. and the joy of my salvation. <laughs> uh. And I'm like, what? I haven't God thought about that phrase in a long about? time. They really have this ritual at, at bedtime down. <sighs> <laughs> They remembered everything. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's exhausting. Yeah. It's not life. It's not sacred. <laughs> it's not life-giving. No. There was no peace in it. There is no but touch of divine love it. in that. No, not at all. But that that was, for me, kind of during those formative years, a big thing. 
And then transitioning more to like young adulthood. So like when I was at YWAM and not really, this really wasn't about youth with a mission itself at this point, but like, am I sure like that this is even the right religion? Like, am I, am I sure? And it's that seeking of certainty and trying to like give myself space to like re almost like it was about reassuring myself that I had done enough studying and I had open-mindedly, but totally not open-mindedly pursued other, like learning about other things, but wanting it to be my own, wanting a sense of ownership and to be able to say almost like I did my due diligence here, but like without ever like leaving the faith, because what if I would die and -hmm. then I wouldn't be saved because I was really exploring these other religions. So like I tried to walk that weird line and like that was the second time like that I got baptized was after like having done some exploring and like whatever. No, it's really like really like I'm settled now. This is really my faith. Like at 19 years <laughs> at old, 19, or whatever yeah, it was. Yeah. Um, and and there was there continued just to be this dissatisfaction with like I I knew I still didn't have it figured out. I knew I still had doubts. I still had uncertainty. And as I got older, I was. And, and I was in a faith community then where there was some space for that. Um, I was able to explore more and ask more questions. And like, you know, I moved from a, tr- a background that was more patriarchal to like at Youth With a Mission, actually. One of the gifts that I got being involved with them was they affirmed women in leadership. Mm-hmm. And they gave me, I remember buying a book in, I don't know, I was in high school. I was, because I would do summer missions trips there. I bought this book called Why Not Women? And I thought from the title, it was going to explain why biblically women shouldn't be in leadership and help me be at peace with this. Well, the book was absolutely not saying that. It was actually saying women should be in leadership and gave me like a theological path for that and a theological explanation that still affirmed the, you know, inerrancy of the Bible, which was really important to me at the time and gave me kind of tracks to run on there like so it was like another crack of like just because you've heard your whole life that this is the way it is and this is right doesn't necessarily mean that and so as for many people on their faith journey it was kind of one step at a time of like breaking through the old assumptions but it did it in small enough chunks that i could stomach it like that one in particular i like that you use the word crack like it just gave you enough space but didn't make it all crumble. Yeah. It's amazing that we can be in that tradition in which we are affirming this radically new expression of the Holy Spirit and like God breaking through in brand new ways and in power and in majesty that can't be understood or controlled, but then also have very fundamentalist beliefs about how we should live our lives. Mm -hmm. It seems like the two of those shouldn't fit together. Pentecostal movements should be more open to new to new expressions Which of Which was what they were what it turned out what that book was teaching. It was yeah. actually saying that. Now in other ways they were still completely conservative and and whatever. But there was an element to me of like this was new to me. Like this this idea was like and then actually learning more about the Pente- the early Pentecostal movement and that they were more egalitarian oh, yeah. in a lot of ways. And then it, it but what often happens is things regress then because those in power are looking to kind of seal in the status quo. And you mean men? You can say yeah, it. I wasn't actually thinking place. men, but yeah, in that case, white men, yeah. Every um, single revival in church history was started and led by women and then co-opted by men and then turned into some boring... Some, and something that could be controlled. Yeah. And that preserved 
what they believed was the right order of things. So, yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in some ways, that makes sense. Like, you don't have to wrestle then. Like, well, it, right. That's And you can feel sure. You can feel certain. That a this sense is, of assurance in times of uncertainty. Right. That's People great. love that. Yeah. I mean... I love it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. I love um, something. And I then can, until it doesn't yeah. work anymore. And then you have more and more cognitive dissonance. And you're like, this just is... And you can't stay there. I mean, some people will stay there. And they're not wrestlers, perhaps. Or they're not... It's working for them. There's a million reasons people stay there. Yeah. But I couldn't. I like... I couldn't. I think if you are a person who is fervently seeking answers and truth, you will outgrow the container where you have been nourished before. You just, you can't not. Even if it's a good space and it's a good and open space, you will always outgrow it like a like a potted plant. Right. The only way to stay in one space is to stop growing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, life is hard enough as it is, you know. So. But if you believe you found the right space, then you don't tell yourself that. You tell yourself you are growing. You're just... Well, yeah, it works until you've got until your world falls apart, and then you realize that there's no foundation left to this thing, and then you're in crisis and you lose your faith. Which I mean, so many of the people I grew up with who were the most faithful and pursuing God and pursuing whatever God wanted for their lives, those are so many of the people who are not anymore like Christians at all. Yeah, like there was there wasn't space for that, or they were told if you do X. Why will happen? And it mm. didn't. Yep. And it just didn't. And it repeatedly didn't. And that, I mean, what do you do with that? You can you can reframe it so that you can stay in that space. Or you can, like, realize this isn't right. This is, doesn't make sense. And as, assume or come to the conclusion the whole thing's farce. Yeah. It's just not worth it. So you did neither of those things. I right. Yeah, <laughs> I did. How did you What end was up the here? the way that you found? <laughs> so, I mean, like I said, I ended up being part of a church plant that made space for that. And I was part of leadership in that church plant. Um the the that church, we had, you know, women in leadership. And even that we kind of grew into. Um but we affirmed it from the beginning and then it was more of figuring out how to practice it and what that looked like. Um and I mean like, I know I, like, freaked out plenty of the people even in my church plant because I was always pushing at the edges. Oh, my gosh. I mean, it's just, it's, of all the people in that group, I would easily have been the one who they were like, well, who's going to lose their faith? It's going to be Laura. Because <laughs> <laughs> she won't stop asking these questions or she won't be satisfied with whatever, or whatever. So, um, it's, there's a lot of irony in that. So, um, it kind of went piece by piece. And one of the things for me... It's that honesty piece of, I don't know, I can't, I can't not ask questions. Like as much as I, I want stability and order, I also like, I'm not easily satisfied. And, and there's like, it's funny with the OCD because that kind of goes in there, like it kind of fits, but it's not necessarily a disorder if it's, you know, whatever it's, if it's, if it's healthy, whatever that looks like and not whatever that it's just healthy. Part of my personality (laughs) is, it's almost like. Asking questions and being unsatisfied is like the 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 common theme. 
with OCD, it goes into a full disorder and it's very illogical and, and, and harms your life. And that's what makes it a disorder. But that broader theme of like seeking answers or truth or like, I don't know. Yeah. And just always asking if there's more or something else. Um, I just went, I started asking questions, uh, Probably partly related to the rise of, you know, the blogosphere. Like, mm-hmm. like there was lots of this. There was the, and then the whole emerging church thing, which we were never, like, really deeply in, but, like, people pushing at the edges. And so I just kept doing that. And so, you know, we had the, the issue of women in leadership, and that kind of was resolved for me. Political things, like, you know, growing up very conservative, like, kind of starting to push out of that. I kind of went— I, I would say I went through an Anabaptist phase. I'm at least a little bit still there. <laughs> There's a part of me that will always be someone Anabaptist, which um, is just another way of like looking at like war and nationalism and all yes. of that and seeing that differently. So I there was that. There was an awakening to um, the fact that science is real. <laughs> Amen. Um, and and that that evolution is like an established scientific reality. Um, and what does that mean? What does that mean? And so there was a whole huge phase of like, what, what does it mean that evolution is real? What does that mean about humans? What does that mean about the Bible? And that was a huge, that was its own huge chunk, which in the end, like, was great. Like, I felt like I can, I can totally reconcile this. Like, I can, this, this doesn't, it, it required me. It required me to relook at the Bible and like ask what is what what am I looking at this for? Like what what are the questions I'm bringing to this? And it partly just required me to get honest about when I didn't have the answers about you know where did sin come from or what is like I mean you can have a million discussions around that topic. Did Adam and Eve kill the dinosaurs? Oh my gosh! (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I don't know that I asked it quite that way, but um, but like just allowing yourself to like ask questions that you don't have the final answer for yet. Because that, I feel like sometimes um, we tell people, at least we did in, in the world I came from, um, you can ask questions as long as you arrive at the right answer. <laughs> yeah, yep, yep, yep. Um, That's so true. You know what I mean? Like, we, had, we have that answer prepackaged for you. Have you been to the Answers in Genesis website? Whatever, you know? <laughs> um or whatever. I mean, and, and I I was not raised that, you know, young earth creationism was the only option. But what I was taught very clearly at my Christian school and in every area of my life was that one thing we know isn't real is that humans have a common ancestor with um, apes. Like, you, we, that is just, that's not, that's not an acceptable answer. Um, you can believe that the earth is millions of years old and interpret ages and whatever. I remember our, our science books at the oh, school yeah. I went to were the gap theory that between yeah, that Genesis one like, one and Genesis one two yeah, there's the like gap four theory, billion years. the age theory the young earth created there was options see we teach options there's a but one option you cannot come to the conclusion of is that evolution is right. real like, we were fully cooked when we got here exactly and we and and part of being in the image of God means we we cannot have come through the evolution evolutionary process mm-hmm. like that just it's like we already we know that can't mean that, and I'm like, well, why? Oh, because then Australopithecus would need to be in the image of God, <laughs> and then maybe modern gorillas would need to be in the image of God, and then we might actually have to take care of them, and that's just not no. Yeah, can't so, do that. It just it's one of those things where that that issue, 
was one that, again, pressed on me. Like, I got to be honest. What am I seeing? And, like, if I'm honestly re- looking at the science, I can't deny that this that this is overwhelmingly supportive of of evolution. And so I got, you know, that that was uncomfortable for me at times, but it was definitely uncomfortable for people around me mm. because <laughs> I'm questioning things that, oh, like, I don't know. Like, I was a thorn in, I think, some people's sides. I, I still am. But um, <laughs> you're my favorite thorn. Oh, I, you're my favorite thorn. Yeah. No, it's it's a gift. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. So that was one issue. I don't even I couldn't even try to list all of them. But the, that seeking of like, I don't know, noticing in myself when I was, you know, well, I'm coming to this conclusion because it's the preordained conclusion and like pushing internally being like, I can't. I have to like, I have to be real about what I'm seeing in the Bible, in science, and whatever. I love that you have a like an Anabaptist streak too. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that about you. And I feel like that's a common story that I keep hearing with ex-evangelicals, myself included. Mm-hmm. That we all seem to discover science, we discover the Anabaptists, mm-hmm. and we're like, "Whoa, you don't need to buy into nationalism." Wow! And then at some point, you discover um, Catholic contemplative spirituality, and you think to yourself, "Wow, I could go live with Richard Rohr." And I never hit th- that face. Oh, really? I've read some Richard Rohr, and Maybe I next like. Year. I, I don't. I, I don't know <laughs> if it's my wiring or what, but like, I never got deeply into the the contemplative stuff. Yeah. No. Yeah. Maybe it's coming. Not yet. Maybe it's not. And we'll maybe we'll get into a little more like if I've found an alternative, not an alternative to that, like a competitive alternative, but like internally. <laughs> We're going to compete with the Catholics. Yeah, no, I'm not going to, and I'm not going to compete with, with uh, Richard Rohr, but there's an element for me of like finding a, a which I, I'm guessing part of what's appealing to people in that is the the lack of striving. It's the lack of certainty, I think. Yeah, so obviously that appeals to me. Yeah. And I may have maybe came to it through a little bit of a different way. But I think for me, one of the things where I've come to now, because like, yeah, Anabaptist stuff and, you know, science and like just um, really getting a lot more progressive in the way I look at the Bible overall, um, while still very much wanting to hold on to that as meaningful, but also like realizing I could not manage it. I could not... I, I I cannot wrap my arms around what it means for that to be inspired. I can have the refractions of it, mm. <laughs> but I I cannot. I I don't know that I fully. I'm not settled on what that means. Like I I just that that feels like it's a little out of touch or a little out of reach for me still. Um, mm. but uh, coming through all of that, there's still an element of like there was there was like another dark night of the soul. Somewhere in there. And and maybe, maybe this is now where I'll cry. Maybe it has a little bit to do with the end of the old church that I was a part of. Um, yeah, maybe it has a little bit to do with the, the end of the, the church I was a part of, though I didn't doubt that it was right that that, that ran its course and and that that we ended that like that was it served a very good purpose i i don't know for sure about everybody else who was involved but for me it allowed my faith to play out with cracks instead of crumbling 
I think at some point in the last five years, um, it's and I can't point to an exact time when it happened. I mean, a lot's happened in the last five years for me. Um, I feel like to a large degree, I found my calling um, on a more local level with advocacy. You know, I'm happy to get into any of that. My mom passed away, which was not a faith crisis for me, but it was an emotional ordeal. Um, at our church closing, it just shook me up in a different way. Um, not because of any big unanswered questions or because of any big, hey, God, you said X and this happened. Like, I know people who who will have a disappointment, whether it's a church closing or whether it's somebody passing away, where it's kind of like, I didn't think God would let that happen. I was so far like... I, I I way long ago wrestled with bad things happen and why like and and we don't know and that was another one of those phases I would say that I've gone through of like understanding you know what's God's plan and oh getting into the predestination thing or getting into like all of that that um, was a, a part of my faith journey earlier on that I think prepped me for when things happened in my life um, and having dealt with OCD and and other things like that where life was not easy and and one could easily ask why me and so that kind of felt like it wasn't really the thing even though it's sometimes the thing for people it was more just the instability of things changing um and introducing like a different emotional plane than what i was used to um and so my faith kind of shifted again, but this time it wasn't intellectual. The intellectual part was basically still there. Um, it just kind of, I don't know, shook me up in a way where I kind of had to find my footing. Like, you know, what where, what does church look like for us now? And um, there is a part of it where for a long time— I had been striving, striving to find answers, um, striving to make sure I was getting it right, striving to, um, I can be very duty-oriented, um, which I don't think is necessarily always a bad thing, um, to, I don't know, to be very committed, but there's an element of, if that's, those are the tracks you run on all the time, then you go on autopilot, and you're not really, you're, you just kind of feel like, I've got to, I've got to do the next right thing. I've got to figure it out. And and at some point, like, I didn't have, spiritually, I didn't have a duty anymore. Hmm. Um, I didn't have a church I was trying to help lead while figuring things out, which, in hindsight, there was upsides to that and there was downsides. Um, that was another thing that kind of made it happen, made my faith journey happen in, in bits or or at a slower pace because I wasn't really wanting to just like throw it all up in the air and figure it out. I had this sense of like I'm on the I'm on this journey with other people and while I need to be honest and you know true to what I'm thinking and feeling and figuring out, I also was very trying to be sensitive to the people around me. So when the church shut down, I think there's an element of like I'm not holding it together for them anymore. Um 
not that I, I didn't look at it that way either. And I don't know that holding it together is the word, but it's like, I didn't have to consider that. I didn't have to consider my obligations to the the people, the group that I was helping to lead. And, and I could stop striving. I think there was an element of like, my faith had gotten progressive enough that I was not scared to stop striving. Um, and I didn't have the like social aspect kind of keeping me on track. And so I have found in the past several years, I don't know exactly how long, um, a sense of like being much more passive in my faith, which is like, sounds terrible, but it is absolutely what it is. There's an element of like, you know, I forget where the verse is, but like, you know, seek me and you shall find me. Yeah. Okay. That to me was always like almost a threat, not a, like an, like a, like a challenge, like a, like an obligation. Like you're supposed to be seeking God. Like you're supposed to be, um, almost like say, like a promise. Like you'll have the answers or you'll have, you know, your best Christian life if you're truly seeking God. Like it's almost like how people read Proverbs. Um, people read Proverbs often and they want to insert a promise, um, Train a child in the way they should go, and when they were, are old, they will not depart from it. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's worked it's, out well for yeah. everyone. So, but people treat it like a, a I don't know, like a, a math equation. Like if you add four and four, you're going to get eight. End of story. And that's I don't think how we should read the proverbs. And it definitely um, I don't think is probably how that that verse about you know seek me. Um, and you'll find me. Um, or at least not that we should expect to know what that means. Um, so, but that's kind of the framework I had was like, work hard, Laura, and you'll you'll get to where you need to go. Um, and so for me, letting go of striving is an element of like, letting God come to me. Um, which sometimes I can feel it and other times I can't. But instead of chasing it and giving up and like trying to chase God and chase certainty or chase the results or the feeling that I think I should have, I've learned to kind of just sit with it and accept this, whether it's a season or just my, the way my faith is, to be at peace without the answers. And again, I don't really mean like theological answers. Um I mean, like, um, are you familiar with, oh, what's that book, Finding God in the Waves? Oh, yeah. Okay. In that book, he tells a story. Mike McGrath. Is that who that is? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Science, Science Mike. Mike. Science Mike. Yes, yes, yes. That's how I know. That's why I was a little unfamiliar. Science Mike. So, so uh, Mike McGarg. Sorry. Mike McGrath is the guy from NPR who <laughs> yeah, does the Guardian oh, yeah. show. <laughs> cool. Mike Science McCarg. Mike, whatever. <laughs> but, yeah, he tells a story in there about... I think they may have called it the split brain experiment. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I figured you might be familiar with this. So I am like the person in that experiment who they could talk to one half of the person's brain and then they could talk to the other half of the person's brain because of what, what is that called when they split the, they um, uh, split the uh, um, corpus, the uh, corpus callosum, yes. the, the, the connecting tissue between the lobes of your brain. Right. Some people with severe, 
um, epilepsy, disorders, right? And they they severed it back in the day. Yes, they don't do it anymore. They don't do it anymore, so but, we can't do these experiments. Oh, on but people. it was so cool because they would ask the per- they would cover up. You, you you know the story too. So they'd cover up what one of the eyes because they basically would ask one side of the brain by letting the person read only with one eye, so it would only communicate to one side of the brain different questions. And one of the people they asked, or one of the questions they asked was, do you believe in God? And the person answered, one part of their brain answered, uh, no, like there's no God. And the other part of their brain answered, I'll always believe. And I'm like, I get that. Like, I get that on a deep level. And I have for a long time, like, like, I don't know. I don't know when the first time I admitted it was, but whether it was my mid-20s or something where I'm like, I, I'm i not sure this is all real. This might all be total bullshit. Like, and I still have a part of me that I, I'm not certain that any of this is right. Um, but partly going back to that, like, I don't know. Again, there's been so many it's been such a slow process, but like Greg Boyd is a preacher that I listened to heavily from probably when I was 21, 20, somewhere in that up until like five years ago. And I st- I'm st- sure I would still like him. I just listened to him so much. I felt like I'd heard everything. <laughs> um, he talked about faith as a, as a trust, as an active thing, like not as a certainty. And he gets way into that whole doubt and certainty, which I was one of the reasons I liked him so much. Um, but he would talk about faith as a, a, as a marriage, as a decision to trust. And so for me, despite the, the one half of my brain, which I'm, if you, if you did that experiment on me, I bet you one half of my brain would be like, oh yeah, it's, it's bullshit. <laughs> it's just totally <laughs> bullshit. And, and the other part of me didn't and doesn't want to let it go because there's there, I'm also not satisfied with the idea that it it that there's no God like it doesn't seem right either, and the way that I see beauty in the world, the way that I see peace, the way that I see shalom, is when there's God and specifically Jesus in the mix. Like the message there is like it's it's right. There's it's I, on a level that I can't I can't convince you. Like I've got some absolutely fabulous through my journey, wonderful atheistic friends who they're just, they aren't there anymore. And most of them came out of like the evangelical world too. And I'd talk to them and, and again, talking about reflecting or refracting the sacred, like those tensions, those conversations were some of my most sacred conversations because I felt like I was standing in the middle of something mm-hmm. and I couldn't quite place it, but I felt as I felt so at home with them but also at peace with not agreeing with them, even though their logic was at least as airtight as mine. Yeah. And I felt it. I felt like I, I can't disagree with you. I see where you're coming from. I just, I can't. Like I will, and that would be frustrating to some of them because I would agree with them on almost all the points they're making. And I'm like, yeah, but <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm still going to hold on to this. And, you know, I have my own re- reasons why that are more, either emotional, spiritual, uh, I don't know. Like, like it was like they didn't like that I wouldn't follow them there. Or not didn't like. It wasn't contentious. But finding myself a thorn in the side of people, like, uh, I'm just difficult. I think <laughs> all of the, the research I've read about consciousness, which mm-hmm. is admittedly, admittedly limited. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not a consciousness scientist over here. It seems to suggest that we're not a unitary being, Mm -hmm, that we're not one brain, 
with one consciousness who has one will and is just, you know, working among itself, <clears throat> that we are a, coll a collection of consciousnesses mm -hmm. in conversation with one another. Mm -hmm. And uh, you contain multitudes. Mm -hmm. It's not that you have a doubter and a believer inside of you. It's that you might have 50 of them. Right. And they're all in conversation all the time. And who you are is just an emergent reality of all of those consciousnesses inside of you. And I think if you honor that and you give space to those things, to those person, those consciousnesses within you, then there's a, there's a refraction of the sacred right there. But don't you think that scares people? Like to, to talk about it. It's that horrifying. Way. Like it's, it's <laughs> like, what does that mean? I remember being, I took a college class um, before I even went to youth with a mission and it was like a psychology class and it talked about somebody who had a like talked about brain injuries and how it could change your personality. Yes. Completely freaked me out. Like I was like, well, how is that possible? Because of again, I had a very specific way that morality should work and the and you know human should work. And to hear about whatever his name was who had like a pole yes. stuck through his brain and he became oh. a total jerk. And he had been nice and and it bugged me on a almost again almost a faith crisis level to yeah. think that something physical could so alter. A person's behavior, attitude, beliefs, and it just freaked me out because in my mind, that shouldn't be like that. It, it really undermined my very simple way of looking at things. Um, so that just kind of, it it can freak people out. I think I don't, care, like it doesn't freak me out. Now it's kind of an interesting idea. It's still very unwieldy, yeah. like to think about it that way. But well, when you, yeah. when you, believe the you know evolution and you know that the human brain didn't develop all at once it wasn't created all at once it's a patchwork it's something that develops over time so sure you know you've got this part of the brain that developed a couple billion years ago and this well million years ago and this one that developed a couple hundred thousand years ago and this part developed this and so they're just it's it's like a uh it's a patchwork quilt that you've been working on for millions of years and so it's like you also contain your ancestors and all of the species that came before you. Like you are a walking miracle. I was gonna say, people talk about your lizard brain. Just to use one example, it's yeah. like, yeah, like. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. I think. I think so much that complexity. Can, it like, is, and yeah. I feel like. I, as you were talking, I was thinking about about the complexity and how that talks to the necessity of having a complex faith, mm -hmm. of having a complex view of the world. Mm -hmm. Complex does not mean bad or good. It just means complex. Mm -hmm. right. It just means that... It, yeah. It, it, yeah. And there's beauty in that. Like there I, is. And there's a lot of opportunity actually to learn grace in that too. Yes. Because when you think about uh, why people are the way they are, I, whether you're thinking about your own self or whether you're thinking about anybody, anybody who's difficult or whatever, there's an element of, sometimes I try to explain either to, to my kids or to to others in various situations I won't get into. People normally are trying their best, yeah. right? Um, I love Brene Brown so much. She's, I love her. And one of the things that I, again, I don't necessarily always believe it in that certain kind of way, 100%, but 
the idea that people are trying their best is a really, really good way to live. It's a really good way to think about stuff. And sometimes what people will say is, how can that be? Like, how, how don't they know better? Don't they? Whatever. And, and when you start getting into, well, it could be, and, you know, name your scenario. They could be thinking about it this way. They could have been raised this way. It's all of those things normally. Um, and while that doesn't lead, shouldn't lead us to excuse bad behavior or bad attitudes or whatever, there's also an element of like, People people arrive at the spots they're at for a million, a hundred million different reasons. Um, all of them, not just one of many, but like they are complicated. And there's so many factors that go into shaping people. And of course, everybody's right in their own eyes or most of the time. Um, <laughs> and, or at least justified or, in the thing. Like, well, right. Anne Lamott said that everyone thinks they're right or else they think something different. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Like, I mean, and so it's hard because people are incredibly, I don't know, people's stories are complicated. Yeah. People's brains are complicated. Like, I don't think we have any concept of just how, I don't know. It's like one of the reasons that I believe in God is because I love the idea that he can know us that completely. Because the more, it's like you unwrap it and it just... There's just always more layers more. to people. And yet, I think I find a lot of peace in the idea that God, like, actually understands that stuff. Because the more I understand, the more I realize I don't understand. <laughs> the more I understand the world, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? Like, that's just the, the, the way of it. And that is one of the reasons that I hold on to faith is because it is, it's such a beautiful thought that there can be a God that knows all of that. Um, and not just knows it on like a factual level, but like values and understands people even in their complexity. Um, yeah. Well, and as we're nearing the end of our time together, now that you're done winning this campaign <laughs> uh, and you're off changing the world for the, for the good in so many other ways, what's... Uh, What's next? What's your next battle? What are you What are you fighting for right now? My next battle. Well, I mean, the fair funding thing, which we really didn't get into, but is like a huge part of why I take on the projects I take on. That's continues to be a thing. And and just to really quickly sum that up, um, in Pennsylvania, schools are really, really inequitably funded. Um, we have huge gaps in spending between districts. Uh, that are predominantly poor students and districts that are predominantly wealthy. Um, and we've made some progress. Um, it's that there's been some wins on that front this year. There's more to do. So, um, you know, I'm going to continue to serve on the school board. I have to rerun this year, actually, which I don't love the idea of getting done with a, an, an another election campaign and then having to run for school board, but it's a totally <laughs> much smaller ball of wax. Um, I'll continue to work on it on that level. Yeah, I'm, I'm one of the leaders of a fair funding organization, Pennsylvanians for Fair Funding. We'll continue to do work on that kind of other level that's coordinating with folks across the state. And I'm going to work for Paul Friel, who's the candidate who I helped to win in 2022. I'll start working for him in 2023. So, like, those wor worlds work will continue to um, – there's a lot of conver convergence there um, and a lot of similar goals. And I don't know what happens after all that. Some people are like, you know, people are asking me about my plan. I'm like, I don't, don't really have a plan. <laughs> I kind of fall into things. It's funny because for all of that, 
emphasis um, when I was like in my like teen and early 20s years about like, what are you called to? I, I don't I I'm not using the degree I got at all um, other than like, you know, in my own life, because my degree was a health degree. Um, and even then <laughs> it's questionable <laughs> sometimes. Um, I I've just kind of started falling into the political and advocacy world and like. It kind of like it's funny in hindsight. I'm like, yeah, I kind of feel like I've found my calling, but it wasn't because like I strove for it. That's the funny part. It like kind of found me, and and I can't. It's almost not an option to not. Mm. You know what I mean? Like it compels me. <laughs> so, which I mean, I think is actually a really a telling um, a way to tell that it is a calling. <laughs> but it's just funny. It didn't. Yeah. Next week. In our, our Bible study on Wednesday, we are getting to a really interesting part of Ezra in which opponents use the legal system to subvert the good work being done. <laughs> and then it's prophets <laughs> like you who call them out, the, the people out mm-hmm. on it, and show them ways to use the same legal system to bring justice mm. and to upend unfair rulings and laws and use the same system that the the enemies use for oppression to use for good. And I don't want to spoil it or anything, oh, but fun. you're uh, gonna... you're in good company here <laughs> with thousands and thousands of years ago. That's cool. One of the things I've always admired about Laura Johnson is that your faith is so embodied that there's nothing that it doesn't touch. <laughs> You do politics because of your faith. You love your community because of your faith. You love your family because of your faith. And this all benefits you in various ways, but you're not a disembodied person. You can't show up without without your body, without your faith. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. the first time I met you, you were... This, how tall are you? Five three. Five three. Five three. Yeah. Five three we're, we're if I'm, uh, yeah, I've had a good night's sleep. <laughs> uh, yeah, all right. At the bottom of this, at the bottom of the stairs in Harrisburg, mm-hmm. surrounded by thousands of people speaking your truth and your love and your commitment to your community, that I got to, I got to get to know her, and you've been the same the whole time I've known you. Uh, you've been honest, you've been forthright. You bring a different, you help me see a different understanding of a thorn because <laughs> um, you're not prickly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, a thorn I, yeah. I find is like an annoyance, mm-hmm. but you're like, I'm not going to give up until my soul is satisfied. And that's a different kind of striving. Well, she hasn't thorned you. So. <laughs> I'm sure she has, but I didn't know. Like you, you. Well, I think you you push me to be honest and to actually stand by my word. Like, I guess that has to be thorny, right? Like, like okay, like you can say the things you want to say all the time, but if you're not actually doing it, like whatever. Like, mm-hmm. I'm just going to disregard what you're doing because it doesn't make any sense, right? Like, so I. I I don't know. I I am so thankful to have your thorn in my life because you make me better. And I, I think you make the people you work for and with and alongside and on behalf of better. 
my prayer is always that you find rest. It's right. always that you find rest. And I know that that is always a challenge, but it is. I mean, I think just to touch back on the rhythm idea, mm. I think there is a, there's a, a balance. Um, maybe balance isn't even the word, the word, but like there's an internal rest that you can have because you're, you're being honest. I mean, to me, that's just such a big thing. I think the really the theme for me is moving from like certainty to honesty and, and finding peace. I, you, I would think certainly through the OCD stuff, but also just kind of, kind of my general personality and my upbringing that I used to think I'd find peace when I figured it all out, when I was certain. Right. And there was this shifting to, I, I'm going to, I'm never going to arrive at that spot, and that would be a dishonest spot anyway. So the peace is in, and the rest is in honesty and kind of an acceptance of where, not just where I am, not like, oh, I'm just going to sit down here and stay here, but like the the element of journey or the element of like the rest, the rest is in the trust itself, not in the certainty. The rest is in the honesty and being able to trust God. Like, I can be honest with Him. Because I think that's an element that that helped me along the way as I was going through my many iterations and cracks was, like, getting to the point where I was like, I can, do, I can be fully honest with God so I can be fully honest with myself. Like, I can trust God enough to be honest, which is why I can say things where sometimes I think people are like— being willing to say, like, half the time, I don't know if it's half the time, but, like, I have strong moments where I'm like, this is total garbage, isn't it? Like, maybe <laughs> it is. Like, and not be afraid. I would have been so afraid to do that before. And I would have been afraid to to say, like, um, what I say? Like, my faith is more passive now. It's not striving. And I, I realize other people probably wouldn't look at it and see pa- passivity. <laughs> but, like, there's an element of, like, I'm not chasing God because when I chased God he got further and further away when I when I chased when I and especially when I really put certainty in God kind of in the same basket um and was just kind of like chasing this sense of when I find God I'll be certain um and and just learning to just sit and let God find me and be honest about that instead of like even though I know it's not the right answer it certainly isn't to some people it's scary like to some people, to hear that. Um, I don't hear passivity. I hear openness. And that feels like receptive almost. Yeah, receptive is a good word, but I'm not going after it like I right. used to. I used to, I feel it felt compelled in an unhealthy way yeah. to go after it because I thought that's where I'd find my peace. And I think, I don't know, I just feel like God can certainly handle whatever I'm going to say. And and really believing that allows things to play out in a, in a less like frantic way and allows me to be more internally at peace. And even though externally I can, I'm very driven, I'm very persistent. Like that's like a huge part of like my calling mm-hmm. um, and feel good about that. But there's also an element of like my, I don't, hinge on my sense of identity doesn't hinge on figuring it out or getting it right there's like an internal piece so sorry 
That's long-winded, I know. Abraham Heschel defines the prophets simply as people who cannot grow accustomed to injustice, (laughs) whereas everyone else can feel its effects and then get used to the new normal. The prophets are people for whom that never gets comfortable. And so they are either driven to action or madness, and sometimes both, (laughs) in the case of Ezekiel, maybe. And I'm Uh, sure you felt it in your own life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But uh, (laughs) thank you for being one of our resident prophets and for all of your work you do in the community, for for the niches you found yourself in and the ways that you've discovered to express your faith and openness in ways that help other people Um, to not experience what you did. And thank you for making our little corner of the world a little bit better and for being with us for the past hour and sharing so vulnerably and openly about your own journey. Thank you for having me. And I'm just, just want to say, I don't know know if you'll let this make its way into the, to the podcast or not, but I so appreciate you guys. Like, Oh yes, this is going in. (laughs) After, um, like one of the reasons that we ended up st- staying in a church versus like taking an indefinite leave of absence from from going anywhere was because we knew Nicole. Um, and I know, like you said, it's not passivity, whatever you want to call it. Um, you've made you guys both now that I'm in. You know, we're in a joint church. Um, there's there's space. I think that I can, I feel like I can just be me. In fact. The reason that we started going to your old church was because I felt like I can just be myself. I can just show up and I don't know. Like, again, having been through lots of like being part of leadership in an old church and always serving in some way, it was so refreshing to be able to be like, I can be here in in the space now with, with open table and sit and not not just um need to figure it out but almost more like this is a spot of peacefulness of mm. and of i don't know rest is probably the best word um and which i think is funny because obviously you guys don't feel restful because starting a new <laughs> church is literally anything but um and i know that but there's an element for me personally of it's exactly where I needed to be in order to kind of like find my church footing again um, and just take a beat. And then I don't know, you know, I don't know where, where it all leads in the long run. It's not like you just take a beat and, and never pick it up again. But that's such an important pause, I think, for people when they get done with a big church project or something closes. Um, it can be really healthy to just pause and I just feel like with you guys I can do that and I just appreciate that so yeah it's rambly you're not going to put that all in there but (laughs) no I will because uh, (laughs) even if it's a longer episode I think that's a really important thing for people to know if you are listening to this and you are feeling like you've been through something yeah in a church you don't know if you can trust church you don't know if you can trust Christians you don't know whatever Mm -hmm. Um, we've all been through I mean, we have not been through the same things, obviously, but right. we have all been through really dark places and been in communities that did not make space for that. Mm. And so we are all committed on a personal level to creating a space for people so you don't have to go through that alone. Mm. So, yeah, that's good. 
we would love to meet you. All right. So now this is our third time signing off. Um, <laughs> maybe this one will stick. Maybe. <laughs> We're so grateful. So Thank grateful. You. Thank you.